Hello, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Teaching Restored, where we are your weekly teacher council meeting. That's basically what this is, isn't it, Jilly? I kind of like that. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, with, with Sunday school, I think they're, if I remember correctly, they're asked to do a weekly or a, a quarterly teacher council meeting. Isn't it quarterly? Do you know? I think it's quarterly. Yeah. Well, I think it should be more often. And that's why we do this. I've never attended one. Never, ever, ever, ever. Oh, okay then. Well, so then, that tells you how familiar I am with them. Yes, yes. And how good we are at them. Obviously, yes, yes, yes. I, I, I was in one ward where they held a teacher council meeting. It wasn't called that back in the day, but they did it like every month, and they were they were they did a fabulous job of it, and awesome. we learned a whole bunch of how to teach, and that doesn't happen a lot anymore. And I don't I don't know that once a quarter is sufficient, but it's probably all that can be done. So we're here to fill in the gap. That's awesome. At That's a great way of looking at it. Attempt like to. It. Good. <clears throat> okay. Oh, Julie. You're going to hate Where me for today. today. I'm sorry. I'm nervous today. Uh, you should be. You should be. Okay. Uh -huh. So Julie, do me a favor for, for, for everyone. Just real quickly explain this class that you teach on Tuesdays. Okay. So it is a steak class. And it's called the adult religion class. That's what we call it. And it's intended to be the come, we like, we follow Come Follow Me. We used to follow the Institute curriculum. We follow Come Follow Me. And the purpose of it is to just really give everybody another opportunity to study together. And that is literally what it has become is like a study group, a gigantic study group. It's pretty yes, awesome. It is pretty awesome. And as of this recording, I can say last week I went to it. And it was awesome. It was. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. I did not mean to make you sweat, Julie. No, 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 no. It was awesome. It was, it was, um, when we got done, Kelly said, oh, she, you know, usually it's more into the actual scriptures itself, but it was the introduction to the Book of Mormon. So you yeah. were into scriptures and quotes and things like that. She said, but it, I mean, which is, which is exactly what you should have done. Um, she goes, mm -hmm. but more, it was more into, you know, we're more into the scriptures, but I thought, you know what? That's good. I, I loved it the way it was. And the reason why is because you asked so many great questions. Now I was particularly listening to your questions when oh, shocking. Shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Go what? figure. You like to listen for questions? <laughs> you like that topic? That's a what? Totally news to me. I cannot believe that. <laughs> so, um, actually, I, I didn't go in thinking about that as much as I went in and I went, oh, 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 good question. <laughs> right. That's kind of your filter, though, a little bit, isn't it? Because it is. it's something you're so passionate about. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is a big filter of mine. Um, by the way, I'll just throw this out. Um, I was some, so I have a draft of my book of yeah. how to teach the gospel by using questions and someone was reading it and editing it. And on Sunday, she, she, <laughs> she came and said, Kevin, thank you. I love it. But I'm like hypercritical of everyone's questions now. <laughs> I'm sitting in class going, hmm, that wasn't the right question. Oh, that could have been better. Oh, oh, oh. And, 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 she, and, and I think I might have to put a warning in saying, hey, just so you know, you might, you might become a question snob. I don't mean to make I, you make it that way, but. <laughs> I know. 
it's horrible because sometimes I do a little bit of the same thing because it's something I've been studying more both with you and then for some of the teaching that I'm doing. And I have a tendency to be more self-critical and kind yes. of, oh, well, maybe you could have like asked it in a less generic way or just, you know, kind of little, just a hate being, having a critical filter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But at the same time, when we recognize it, we can go, oh, okay, well, when I teach, that's good. Because to tell you the truth, most people, first off, they don't plan their questions when they do a teaching of some type. Mm -hmm. Second off, we use questions so glibly. Is that a word? Glibly? Actually, I don't know. I, but I'm going to use it. I gelled with it. It was good. Okay. Glibly thanks. Work. Glibly. And, and we just come off with questions that we think off the top of our head. We give real, no real thought to, we just say them mm -hmm. and we abuse them is the way I feel about it. Unintentionally abuse questions because it's just, Hey, here's this question. And, and they really don't have the power that they could have or really okay, don't so mean that's a strong phrase. So tell me what you mean by we abuse questions. Are you saying we fill space with them? We use them in a manipulative way? Like, what do you mean? Yeah, yeah, good. I'm glad you asked. Um, not that we use them made in a manipulative way, because when we, if they, if we were to use them in a manipulative, manipulative way, thank you, Julie. <laughs> Sorry, hard word. I know, manipulative, then that's more intentional. Right. Yeah. But we use it so casually that we abuse them. I mean, think of think of things that and we use them in places we probably shouldn't and in ways we shouldn't. And not that, you know, we're going to hurt questions, feelings or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> questions not going to grow up. I was abused. No, not like that. That's not what's going to happen. But I, I almost feel that way. So. Okay. What I want to do is I want to take some of your the questions that you used. Uh oh, did you write them down? I did. Oh, shoot. I was like, I don't remember them. <laughs> I remember them. I remember them. And I have them in my happy little book. Woo, look okay. at this. Okay. I'm kind of nervous, Kevin. I no. Don't know. And I want to and I want to um point out why they were so good. I want oh. to show you and what I want to do today is talk about questions and how they can be used. Now you use them in ways that you may not have realized that you use them that were really, really good. Okay. And so I think when we kind of call out anything, in this case, it's questions. When we call it out and identify it and recognize it, then we can use it more purposefully next time. Yes. Does that make sense? So. This is, I mean, we've talked about this just briefly or whatever, but I talk about like my first lesson from Pickleball Paul when I started playing yes. the levels of competence and you've got like unconscious incompetence where you don't know what you're doing wrong. And then you've got conscious incompetence, which means that you're doing it wrong and you now know why, yeah, right. <laughs> which is what part of, I mean, I honestly, Kevin, if you like obliterate some of my questions. I hope you will call out the yucky as well as the good because I can't learn um, unless we call out some of the ugly. And that's, we've talked about feedback and just how valuable it is in a past podcast. And I, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm not offended or like sensitive at all. <laughs> I know. Okay. And then the next level is con un yeah, conscious competence. So we know what we're doing 
and we know and we can repeat it and then the last is unconscious competence which means that we unconsciously do it well yeah and we don't even know why but like you can have something that you do well like unconscious competence but making it bringing it into the conscience allows you to then make it even better and yes. i think that's part of what you're saying is that you can take something and you just have to be conscious or aware of it in order yeah. to be able to make it even better right yes I, okay. and, and i agree and i've always seen this model of that you just showed kind of as a hierarchy and you want to get to the unconscious, unconscious competence competence right but yeah. i almost feel like the third level is really i mean is almost superior to the fourth because if you don't know why you're you're really good then how can you know how to use it in other circumstances you okay so here's in gospel learning okay if you get to the point of being unconsciously competent you get complacent complacent yes and exactly. so yeah. the goal i don't think it's not like you achieve that it's like in different skills in different areas you kind of bounce back and forth but you can like in pickleball i can get to a level where i'm unconsciously competent but you better believe that i'm still going to want to get better because i'm no pro right and so i'll go back to the things that i'm doing and conscious of in order to improve even more and so improvement doesn't happen in unconscious competence it happens in the other levels yes it does right. you're right here's a here's a quick example during high school i dove springboard diving competition right instead of swimming i did springboard diving okay. cool and our coach would always sit in his chair just totally laid back with his hands back behind his head leaning back and he'd say nope do this nope we we do a dive and he'd go nope okay you need to do this do this and in my junior year i was like dude we have never seen you in the water once oh <laughs> can you can you even, you're telling us all this stuff. Can you even dive? Fine. He jumped up on the board and, went, and landed it. And we're like, okay, never mind. <laughs> you, you know what you're doing. Okay. Yes. So we knew he was consciously competent in that he knew exactly what was going on and how to do it. It wasn't just a kind of off the, off, right. off the top kind of thing. He knew it and he was coaching us in it. And we needed yeah. to be that as as gospel teachers, we need to know what we do well and why we do it well so we can use it and so we can even teach that. And so we can repeat it also, yes. like use it, do it, teach it, repeat it. Right. Build so on it. So let's do that. Okay. Okay. Alrighty. So you, there were six so we know about the different, uh, I'll, I'll call them the different question answer types, right? Mm -hmm. We've got binary, et cetera, et cetera. Well, just name them for okay, those so who we got, we've binary, got binary, factual, factual informative. In, no, 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 no. Sorry. No. Binary, factual, explanatory, explanatory, introspective, introspective and then transformative, transformative. right? So mm -hmm. those five, you used a number of those, which was good. But what I want to do is take those and talk about strategies on how to use them. Okay. All right. So the first, and, and there are seven of them. The first one is linear. It's just a linear question. For example, near the end, you asked, how are you going to seek Jesus as you study? Okay. That it's a question. And then there's an answer to that. And that's, 
if if um if someone just asks that out of the blue that's more of an explanatory question but you asked it in an introspective way which was wonderful for people to really think and dive deep and go oh how am i going to do that and come up with some good answers so linear questions are i think the ones that are most used most by teachers here's a question there's an answer either they're looking for it or maybe even not but there's it's a question and an answer and there's no huge strategy behind that except to ask a question and i think that's kind of the default for people can you define a linear question for me just is that the definition that, that there is, is a question there is an answer question and answer and there's no okay. other thought behind i'm going to ask this question and we're going to get an answer and sounds good okay and okay, that that those will be very that that definition will be very in contrast to everything else that i'm going to talk about okay, so okay. It, it'll, okay. it'll make more sense okay okay so here's another question you asked you as we're going through the um introduction to the book of mormon you asked what is a remnant remember that yep i do okay now i call this the unforeseen gap because unforeseen gap question because we all take for granted that we know what remnant means right Right. Like it's, we kind of think we do, right? Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, of, of, of course we know what remnant means. Uh, just yeah. this morning uh, when I was reading the Book of Mormon, uh, we came, uh, uh, it was in Alma chapter five, came across the word tribunal. Okay. And I know what that means, right? Yeah, kind kind of. Uh, I And then I went, wait, actually, could, wait can I really defi define it? I mean, I could, but... <laughs> Hmm. And I looked it up and it was what I thought for the most part. And I thought, okay, yeah, I, I got that right. But I can't tell you the number of times when I've got it wrong. Right. It like was, where you come across a word you think you know, but the minute you, somebody asks you to say it out loud, you're like, oh, I, I don't know if I actually, right? That right, kind of yes. Thing. I mean, yes. An unforeseen gap is what you called it? Unforeseen gap question, right. Okay. Because you think that, so there's a gap between what you think and what reality is. Okay. Now, okay. if we take that into a larger context, it's not just of definition of words. It's okay. of even concepts. You think you understand repentance, but, and then you realize, oh, I, maybe I don't understand really what repentance fully means and how how to repent and, and when I repent and I, I, there could be, so you're asking a question to bring out and see the gap is what okay, you're doing. Okay, that there. makes sense. So in other words, like as you, like as a teacher, as you're going along, you can anticipate what some of those might be. Yes. And you're calling it out basically. So if I was to ask, you know, who is Nephi? most people were going to have like an answer and be able to whatever Nephi is the son of Lehi and da but usually an unforeseen gap question is going to make people kind of go it's a uh, uh, do uh, like that kind of yes that's okay. exactly and okay. when you get people start thinking that way they well let me ask you what when you when you come up across a question or i you know maybe you're reading something and then you ask yourself the question of do I really know what that means? What does that do to your thinking and your mind frame as you read? Oh, it makes me more conscious. Like I'm looking for other things that I might not actually understand as well. I'm a little bit more, um, 
I guess, aware of the gaps. Good. Yes. Yes. And does it make you also more open to, hmm, maybe I need to dive in a little bit more. 100%. And, and 100%. think about this harder, right? So an unforeseen gap for me was in the, the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, coming to understand some of the words as they are translated from another language. Like I never would have even anticipated that I didn't fully understand the meaning of the word perfect right. or perfection. But then when I come across that word, I'm like, well, yeah, I know what it means. And then I find out it actually gets almost you know, turned on its head, if you will, when you take and look at the Hebrew or the Greek or whatever other translation there might be. And I think that there's a lot more of that than we might even you know, in our reading, be aware of. And so, yeah, it does. It actually instills a desire in me to try and understand the words that are being used or the concepts even better, for sure. Right. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example. When Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Yes. Right. And he asks him three times. Yeah. Well, if you look at the Greek, it's Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? Peter, do you love me with an unconditional love? And then Peter, do you love me with a brotherly love? And he goes, yes, I do. Right? Yep. Yep. Whole new insight there. Totally. totally. Completely insight, right? And it doesn't even have to be with translation of words. It could just be gaps in specific knowledge of Mm -hmm. what we think. um, For example, okay. (laughs) How about this? Um, I got up uh, during sacrament meeting. I was conducting. And I, uh, someone had, was just baptized. And then I said, all right, we will do her. And I was supposed to say, obviously, her confirmation now. And I don't remember what word I used, but it wasn't quite right. And I was like, what's the difference? Wait, what? What? I did that. I did that wrong. And you're talking here over the pulpit talking? Oh, I, I mean, there may have been a little bit of that, but <laughs> as I kind of turned away, I went, no, that's not, wait, wait, what? <laughs> but, that's what I was... Yeah, it was kind of just a little of that weight. But in my mind, I was going, wait, okay, why did I just blank on that word? What does right. that word mean? What other words could I have used? And then yep. what it does is it opens up this gap for me to be able to do some more research and fill in my gap and so i don't have that gap anymore and and really what you're doing as a teacher is antis like you said anticipating what those gaps are for your students and then creating the or pointing out the gap that they don't realize they have and then it naturally sucks them in it naturally they naturally want to go oh so you want an engaged audience you you use a an unforeseen gap question and all of a sudden they're sucked into wanting to learn and how, and and trying to fill in that gap. Okay, so for those of us who are super linear thinkers, not and not linear question, that's not what right, I mean, right, but right. like kind of so I'm trying to fit this in with the five types of questions. And if I'm thinking about it correctly, almost always an unforeseen gap question will be a factual question, meaning that there is a right or a wrong answer to it. Correct? I would say factual or even explanatory. Explanatory. Because explanatory gets at opinions more. Right. But factual actually 
if I remember right from one of your slides that I've studied, um, you actually have on factual, it could like, there's a right or a wrong answer, but it also could be a point of view. Yes. And so there, I, I'm picturing a gap question having kind of an answer, but that answer could also be a perspective answer. Yes. But it's less of an opinion response, which is more an explanatory question. Like explain how you understand this, which includes all of your biases and all of your opinions, right? Yes. But it might, I would say personally that it's probably more often a factual question. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I probably, you're right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to make it all kind of fit together. Like you're introducing a whole new concept here with these labels. And so I want to make sure that we make them jive with the types of questions as well for those of us who aren't quite as familiar with this content as you are. That's really, that's good. So in fact, let me look on this. Um, I labeled each type of question that you asked. And on this one, it, I labeled factual. It is. Yes. That is a factual question. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Okay, so that is the unforeseen gap question. The like next that. question, here's, here, let's see which one. I love this question. My mind went on this one. In reference to the Book of Mormon, we were talking about this. You stopped and you said, so what's the purpose of the Bible? Yeah. And my mind all of a sudden went, wait a minute. I've never thought of that question, Um, but that's obviously going to have an impact on what I think the purpose of the Bible is. And have I ever really thought about the purpose of the Bible more than, or the Book of Mormon, more than what the title page has told me? Mm -hmm. So listen to this, just a little behind the scenes. Yes. BTS, right? I didn't have a good answer. That's so so I came to class with a question and I thought about it. And so I had some answers, but what I loved is that my mind went as people started sharing their thoughts about that question. And so as teachers, tell me if I'm wrong, don't we usually try and ask questions that we already have an answer to? Right. And I think that's a problem. I don't think that's good. I think we need to be okay with posing a question that we don't necessarily, like instead of fishing, I don't know if one of your categories is a fishing question because we're fishing for the right answer, but we ask fishing questions all the time. All the time. And so I think that part of what we need to be comfortable with is actually asking questions we have an answer to. So not to derail, but BTS, I didn't really have a great, answer to it but i'm like i think this is actually an important question it was i felt it was because it made my mind expand more than i had expected to and just one simple question my mind went somewhere where it had never gone before and i love that so i call that i call that the angle question where you come at it from a totally different angle and you look at it like it's kind of looking like at the, at the dark side of the moon that's a side that we have never seen before but it gives us a more full picture of possibly the front side of the moon. Oh, right? I love that. So you call it an angle question? An angle question, because we're coming at it from a completely different angle than what we typically come at it with. And that would probably be an explanatory question typically, right? Because you're saying, what are your thoughts on this basically? Um, yes, I'm glad you're, I, had, I haven't put that together as far as you know which type of question. I'm glad you're asking me about this. Um, 
but I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Part, part of why mm -hmm. I'm asking you about this is because if you are, I am such a kind of, you've told me something, I'm locking it into my brain. Everything else has to then fit in that box. Makes Does sense. Does that make sense? Yes. And if your framework for the questions is these five types of questions, you can't bring in a whole new vocabulary without connecting it to the five <laughs> that's That's good. Thank you. I, I love it. Thank you. Perfect. Yes. All right. So that is the angle question coming at it from a different angle and it opens up more questions possibly even, right? You're going to give me your notes on this later, right? Because I'm not writing stuff down, but I'm thinking really hard while you're doing okay. it. Can I have your notes later? Yeah, you can have my notes. Okay. Yeah, thank you. If you can read them, but I'll, yes. Chicken's correct. I can read them. Okay. Um, okay. Here is uh, what I call the alternative question. Okay. You create an alternative. Um, and the question that you asked was, what is the difference between being convinced and believing in something? Mm -hmm. I remember that. Yeah. So you, so you straight up say, you know, it, I mean, the book of Mormon says to the convincing of the Jew and Gentile, right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I had never thought of this before. And it was a fabulous question. Why doesn't it say believing? Mm -hmm. Right. And to the believing I of the Jew and the Gentile. And so what you did is, is you took something that isn't there and replaced it with something that is there. And I'll, I'll, give, you a, I'll give you a quick uh, example of that. Um, so one of the things I do is I, I teach federal employees and, and, and I help them understand their benefits and that they need to actually do something about their benefits, right? Um, and we talk about what what they call fegly the federal employee group life insurance yes right and i say and when it, when the when the slide comes up with that title federal employee group life insurance i say please notice that it does not say federal retiree group life insurance it's just federal employee, employee. it's not meant to be kept when you retire and that, that right there blows their mind because they assume that, oh, I can have this forever. And that's kind of what you did here. You said, here is, here is what it says. What it does not say is this. Why is that? Interesting. Oh. Interesting. So can you tell me, your, what are you calling that again? That is the alternative question. The alternative question. So you're bringing up what it isn't what it isn't to try and drive home or maybe consider alternatives right yeah. to what it is yes or just explore maybe not drive home anything but just say i mean you could have come to the class without an answer on this one as well why didn't yeah. it say believing um and i and honestly i use this one all this 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 uh strategy all the time constantly I think this is your favorite strategy because if I remember you told us a while ago that your very favorite thing is to flip something you've just taught on its head and have everybody go, oh, so can I just really quickly, this is a tiny tangent, but I promise it will drive home the point. I was okay. just on a girl's trip with a couple of friends and one of them was reading this book. Um, can't remember. I can't remember who the author is, but it's called Both Are True. Okay. And the point that she makes in this book that the author makes and that my friend 
said this phrase several times during the course of our time together. She said, can both be true? Can both things be true? Mm. And it was in like spiritual setting, like conversations, but it was also in just life where I think that sometimes we have a tendency to attach ourselves to one thing and then somebody flips it on its head and you're like, oh, I'm rattled. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, and this is this happens in the gospel a lot. This is mm -hmm. a lot of people leave the church over this. Yes. Because something that they have really attached themselves to, somebody asks an alternative question. Alternative question? Right? Alternative. Yes. Alternative question. Somebody asks them or poses or comes to their attention that there is an alternative, this alternative question. And that question they assume has to flip whatever they have always believed on its head. And instead, what I hear you saying is that the point of asking an alternative question is to say, do I need to flip this in on its head or can both things be true? Um, Would that be I, true? I hadn't thought of it quite that way, but that is absolutely how it can be used. Yes, yes. I hadn't okay. thought of it quite that way. I think that the reason that I say that is because I feel like in the classes that we teach, part of what we're facing right now is, um, you know, kind of a, a lot more apostasy and a mm -hmm. lot more. I mean, we are in the last days, right? right. And men's hearts are failing them all over the place. Right. And we are all at risk, every single one of us. And so part of, I think, in my mind, as you're saying this, I'm kind of having this like almost Julie epiphany that asking alternative questions has a lot of value because of the fact that it helps us to become more accustomed to, oh, what else could be true? Can both things be true? Could this or does this have to be? And, and really asking those questions without actually being triggered by the questions themselves. That's good. I have, so, not, I have not thought about it in that context, but I love that. That's another way that, it, yes, 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 okay. yes, yes. Okay. Okay. I like that a lot. I, I know it was a tiny bit of a tangent, but as you were saying that, it kind of made me go, because that's been on my mind a little bit. This sure. can both things be true? Could both things be true concept? That's really good. I like that. Kind Thank cool. you. So alternative questions. Um, yeah, we'll just say, we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. That's great. Okay. Alternative. Now, um, let's see. Okay, here, this one, the words are similar, but they're not the same. This one, so here, let me ask the, let me read the question that you asked. You said, as you read the introduction, what are we asked to do? Why I loved this question was because when, when I read the introduction to the Book of Mormon, I've never thought of that question. That's not a question that would typically come up. It took me on a, uh, it, it was, it was a great question because that's not, that's not what I was expecting you to ask. It was uh -huh. like, what? Well, wow. I've never, that, that's, that's not normal. <laughs> and I'm all about well, the not normal. I love that. Right. Well, BTS on that one. Yes. Behind the scenes on that one. As I was reading, I was like, wow, this is referencing covenants a lot. Wow, this is talking, I, I just had all of these little things stand out to me that were like actionable. 
And I had this sense that the introduction to the Book of Mormon is an invitation, right? That's kind <laughs> of what it is. And so I'm like, well, what am I being invited to do? I'm not being invited to, to just give it away to other people and explain it. Right. I'm being invited to really understand it myself, but under, to know and not to do is not to know. So what is it that I'm going to do differently because of it? And that's in the introduction. It had never stood out to me before. And it was, is, is an incredible question. And why didn't it stand out to us before? Why didn't we catch that before? Right. Why don't we ask that question all the time, right? Well, because we think of it as a summary of the Book of Mormon. Right. That's what we think exactly. that we're reading, right? <laughs> right, right. And so I call this a tangent question because when you ask it, it takes us on a completely different tangent than what we are norm, what we are used to thinking to. I like it. So in other words, you're, you weren't anticipating the question. And so it and it kind of is a diversion so to speak yes. in your brain yes tangent goes, question. okay so there we go there's there's the tangent Good. question i like that okay this next question here we go hold on hold on tangent question what oh would yeah it be? let's ask that so let me see as you read the introduction what are you asked to do i put that is an explanatory or introspective question. I put I slash E in there. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I wouldn't actually have thought of it as an introspective question just because of the fact that there is there are lines in the text. And so it's looking for lines in the text. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. But honestly, like even as you're saying this, there have been two or three of them that I've thought, actually, if you really give that the thought that question deserves, it would absolutely have to be introspective. There you go. Yes. Are you going to talk about how to make questions more, like by being more intentional to cause more introspection through your questions and the way you ask them? Um, not today. That wasn't okay. where I was but that's, going I that. think that that's a really important point because like you can ask a question and people can be grasping for the surface surface answers like most people probably were right yes so how do you then make it deep enough that they want to reflect on it even more well i will give you the, this next strategy of question kind of goes towards that okay cool okay so here's the question you asked and and tell me what type of question you you see it is binary etc right how often do we try to convince someone versus help them believe that thing? What kind of question is that? Um, that's a really good question. Because <laughs> <laughs> how often is not like a 50% of the time right. in my mind. You it's know not, what I mean? It's, that not, would be a, binary, it's not a right? one or the other, is it? No, it's not a one or the other. No. Um, and it's not necessarily a factual question because it's going to be different for every person. But, I actually go ahead, but what? actually remember factual questions can be different per Oh yeah, question, they can be point per, of view. Correct. It could Pure. be. And so how often do you, is that right. what you, how often do okay. you, how often do, so how often do we, let's change mm -hmm. it to how often do you try to convince someone versus help them believe that thing? Mm-hmm. I, I actually, so when I wrote the question, 
Mm-hmm. I actually intended for it to be more introspective. Okay. And here's the beauty of it. So I call this the forced second question because you asked really a factual question, but when you ask it, you have to, you have to ask a deeper question. Uh, you, you don't even have to say that question, but everyone will naturally ask that question anyways. Of themselves. Of themselves. Okay, so that's why you said that this one is kind of the natural follow-up to what I was just saying about it. Correct. See that? Yeah, so I like that. That, lead me, that led me to other questions like, all right, how do I help someone convince someone versus help them believe that? What is, what is that for me? What is, or maybe, maybe that's a more of a universal thing, but for me, what is the difference? How do I, and, and what circumstances have I in the past where, where do I feel that I'm trying to convince someone rather than having to try to help someone believe something? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what are those circumstances? What are, and how are they different? How are they similar? I, and I went down this whole road as you were to, I didn't hear anything after that for a while. <laughs> hey, you weren't listening. Thanks a lot. Yeah, because my mind started asking other questions and started trying to answer those as well. And that's so you know, where you really wanted me to go anyways, though. Exactly. Yes. So here's something kind of interesting. So I'm getting ready to teach the missionaries this upcoming week at their zone conferences. And one of the things that I really want to drive home is the fact that their job is not to convince anyone that the gospel is true. Good. And part of why that's been on my mind is because I had, we're doing some renovations at our house and I had an electrician over the other day and it was just he and I, and I was working and uh, at the table and he mentioned that he had two LDS missionaries approach him the other day when he was working on Mm. his car. And so we started to have a discussion about that experience. And he, as in the course of that discussion, it came out that his impression, his thought, his perception was that they were going to try and convince him that his religion was wrong. Good. And so he was really kind of felt protective and a little bit defensive. And he's like, I'm a friendly guy. I know. In fact, he said to his buddy after they left, he's like, you know, they're doing something that we're not like they're giving two years of their life, like their time to go and share the gospel and whether or not, you know, what, regardless of what our perception of that work is, that's really a respectable sacrifice is kind of what he said to his friend. But the reason he didn't want to engage is because of the fact that he thought they were going to try and convince him that he was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's such an interesting perception because I think that missionaries sometimes unconsciously think that that's their job. Right. Like to convince people, not that their religion is wrong, but that our religion is right, that the church is true, but that (laughs) convincing is never, never the goal. Right. Right. And so that was such an interesting word to me that's used in the introduction to the Book of Mormon. But look at the context in which it's used. It's not just, I mean, it's because you've got these Jews who don't even believe that Jesus was the Christ. It's talking about convincing both Jew and Gentile to even recognize Jesus as a step one. Right. And then it goes on because once they recognize him as Jesus, then they start to recognize the covenants that they made with him. 
and the law of the gospel that he brought the relationship that it has with those covenants that they made with their father that were made with their fathers and so they need to be convinced before they can grasp and so but our job if we're coming at it with this desire to convince people we put them on the defensive yes and so it's kind of an interesting i don't know so you i think you articulated something that i love about the these four second questions is that a lot of time it may be kind of a simple question but it forces the person to kind of go backwards and think mm -hmm. wait a minute hmm do i do i or how do i or what what is that really and yeah. kind of reevaluate some things that they maybe have done in the past or may do in the future right. or um or and it and it could go the opposite way as well ask this question and then it forwards them into the future of what am i going to do from here on out right right you can and do you, know you can use cool? that then if you as a teacher recognize that you are asking a forced second question question then you as a teacher a really quickly before you go in you ask yourself those four second questions yes. which means that you're kind of checking your own intentions going into it but then that you also can be more conscious of what those forced second questions are and if you weren't thinking about it right if you yes. weren't bringing it into your consciousness you would never be able to take advantage of where those discussions can lead right because when when you ask those kind of questions you know kind of you know where the the classes we'll call it a class the class or your child or right. the investigator or whomever their mind is going yeah. and then you can kind of just skip ahead to helping them answer those next questions that you didn't ask but they asked themselves and it's right. even better on the believing side when someone can ask when the questions come from within and they have a desire from within to answer those questions rather mm. than me just asking the questions okay i'm gonna you ask a question i'm gonna answer sounds good but if i start asking myself the questions and feel the desire that oh wow i've never thought about that before the motivation is completely different it's a hundred percent better than the alternative you know i've thought about that since we had that conversation a few weeks back about um leading people to a wrestle mm. yeah and so yes. i i kind of almost think that those forced second questions are a little bit of that, like yes. leading people to self-reflect, leading people to a wrestle in some cases, because some of it is kind of hard. Right. It can be, right? It can be. Because yeah. I don't, I, to be totally honest with you, um, when I asked myself that, some of the four second questions that I didn't even know I was asking myself because I was unconsciously incompetent at the time. Now I'm consciously competent. Um, thank you, Kevin. But when when I was asking myself some of those questions, part of why it resonated with me to ask that is because I'm guilty of doing what I talked about. Like in, I I love convincing people. Oh, oh, of convincing people. <laughs> yeah. So I, I asked the question and reflected and was like, maybe if I'm guilty of this, other people will also be guilty of it. And we can all just commiserate in our guilt. Right. I, that was the BTS that was going on for that. I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of of that same cloth there of trying to convince and and that made me think, how would I speak to someone if I was really trying to help them believe it? And so I've thought a lot about that, 
and I'm not done thinking about it. And that's another, that there's a great hallmark of a question when you can ask a question and weeks later, someone's thinking about that question. Still reflecting on it. I love How that. How cool. All right. I love that. All right. Let me. Oh, here's, here's the, we went through one. Let me just say, make sure one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay. Here's the seventh question. You did not ask this seventh question style, this, this strategy here, but I wanted to bring it up because it, it was another one that I thought was really good. Okay. Um, so here in my notes, I wrote down, you know, or feel, and you point out and you ask how to reconcile it. I, I'm just reading straight from my notes here. Because that made no sense. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I, as I read it, I thought, well, I'm going to say actually record this sentence and it doesn't make even sense to me right now. But here's an example of it. <laughs> so does God love his children? Yes. Then why in the world, why, why would he set something in place where some people will go to hell? So... Tell me what type of question this is. So they're kind of asking two questions. You're asking a question, first off, that everyone will go, yeah, duh. duh. And then you're asking a, a contrary question, which is what this is called, a contrary question to it. And then you're making them, it, it's it's similar to another, uh, it's similar to the um, alternative. alternative. But yeah. you're, you're bringing on, it's two questions together. And then you're making them think, oh, wait, it's, hmm, there's a, huge contradiction here mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. is there because there may not be a question because for example when i asked that question then why would god set something in place where some people must go to hell mm -hmm. then when you start evaluating that and having a discussion around that which is really what you want you have a discussion around that you realize that he didn't set anything in place for anyone to go to hell if anything right. we are choosing it and right. what does that right, teach right, us right. about us right so so it you realize it's actually not a contradiction okay here, here's here's another one i remember and i i think i mentioned this uh in a podcast recently um the general authority who uh during conference years ago said would you ever hurt your children no no but of course you give them uh immunizations and you poke them with a needle so yes you do hurt them and then you're like, oh, wait a minute, you're right. Wait, there's a huge contradiction there. And then you yeah. wrestle with the contradiction and realize that, you know what? It, it, it's when you say hurting, we have a specific definition or, or idea in our mind of what hurting is. But at the same time, we also have to realize we have to go through hurting things so that we can come out on the other side stronger and better and more resilient. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what he was really trying to help us understand is that God allows us to go through these things, but and they are hurting. And, and sometimes we make them even hurt more because of what our actions are. We make them hurt even worse. But for us to be better, we have to go through that struggle. And so the contradicting questions brings up bring up two ideas and puts them together and makes us struggle and wrestle between the two. Okay, so let me bring up a thought. So okay. part of what I hear coming out, and tell me, maybe you've thought of this, maybe you haven't, is that 
those second questions, the contradictory questions or whatever that you will ask, if you were to ask them as standalone questions, they A, might be less powerful and B, might actually take you on a tangent versus asking the binary question first, mm -hmm. the duh question, right? People can yes. then connect it to the principle of the gospel, the foundational truth that they believe in. So that when you ask the contradictory question, you're butting up against a truth rather than going Phew, yes. in direction. Absolutely. So you're grounding yourself with something that they know to be right and true. Yeah. Here it is. Yep. Then why this? Oh, there has to be some reconciliation be behind that. And they yes. and and what they have as the foundation is what they is what they kind of grade or evaluate the second question on, rather oh, yeah. than going to the second question and coming at it from any angle. You've you've created a path for them or a mindset for them to help evaluate that already. I yes. love that. So it resonates with me. I had a conversation with Liam this week, who is you know almost 17 and he was talking about a discussion that they had in seminary and he's like i hope sister westover doesn't hate me and i'm like what are you talking about and he's like well in seminary today i was asking a lot of questions and i i kind of derailed the conversation and i'm like well tell me what you mean help me understand and he shared with me that he kind of pushed on a few points mm. that were being made not not in like uh with any intent to derail but really with the intent to reconcile some contradictions that he saw and as he was kind of wrestling with this he said that they let the class wrestle with it and i was like oh high five like let the kids discuss it and wrestle with it a little bit they didn't just like shout out answers and say let's shut this conversation down by giving the right answer yes um they let the class wrestle with it for a little bit and liam was still thinking about it and reflecting on it and interestingly when he started to talk to me about it the way that i was able to respond was by using contradictory questions because he couldn't find an answer to parts of it we got to the mm. point where neither of us really had answers and so I said to Liam, I'm like, okay, what do we know? Like, what do we know here? And we could say, do we know that God loves everybody, not just, you know, certain people? Well, absolutely. Do we know that? And then we could take and ask those same questions after we'd rooted ourselves in that truth. And either the question got answered or we could see some possibilities or the question became irrelevant. Yes because we connected it to that truth. That's great. I love that. And this, so you used it with Liam. I think this could be, an, well, I think they all can be really used well in a missionary setting, but this one in particular, because what you're doing is saying, all right, person, you believe in Jesus Christ, right? Here, do you believe this? Yes. Then why this? Okay, for example, do you believe God loves all of his children? Yes. Then why did he, I mean, and that, that's kind of the place that I was coming from when I asked this original question yeah. here. Then why do you think that he set up a place where most everyone is going to go to hell if they don't believe in Jesus Christ while on earth? Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. Uh, um, uh, right. He loves his children, right? All of them? All of them. Every single one? Every single one. Well, then then why would he do that? Um, right. Right? And, 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 and in, in a in a convincing way, 
(laughs) I almost hate to say that, but in a convincing way, um, you can use that like that, or you can just use it in, in more of a, a, a discovery way. Let's, why would we do this? Let's discover what this is. You may not even have, again, may not even have the answer, but let's, because a lot of those questions, honestly, will come up impromptu. If you know that they are a style, a a strategy you can use, they can come up right off the top of your head and you can struggle with them through it and lead them through it. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you don't know that the strategy is even there, it can just be a struggle period. And that, that becomes really difficult. Well, I think that what I kind of hear you saying is that, you know, when you're in a teaching position, be it with your kids, be it as a missionary, be it as a teacher, it also tells us we don't necessarily need to be afraid of the questions that we don't have an answer to, because people do think in contradictions a lot. Yeah. Like, especially if you're trying to understand the gospel or you're, you know, kind of struggling with your own testimony, oftentimes those contradictions feel like they're being highlighted. Mm-hmm in your brain. And so instead of, you know, kind of having people be afraid to bring their authentic questions, which are oftentimes contradictions, you can set the stage where you have a pattern almost for teaching where you say, you know, okay, so let's do the same thing we were just talking about. Let's go back to what do we know? What is the truth that we do know and have them set up the binary question almost. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, have them say, what do we know? Okay, so we all agree upon this. Yes or yes. no? Yes. We all agree upon this. Yes. And then build from there. Yes. I love the way that you approached that with Liam and asked those binary questions. Because, And one of the powers of binary questions is, is that they're simple. And you can set some right. rock-solid foundations by using binary questions and then jump to something else. And then let okay, you already know this. These are solid. Well, what about this? Then right. you can you can have that struggle. But again, yeah. if you don't set that rock solid foundation. It's just a struggle. It's a struggle. So interestingly, do you remember back in the dark ages when we went through the missionary training center and mm-hmm. we had our um our what do we what do we call it? I wasn't preach my gospel. What were we studying from? Just the lessons. The lessons, the discussions. The discussions. But in our yeah. companionship study. Okay. okay. So gotcha. in companionship study, you would kind of go through and, okay, hold on. Now I got to remember what I was going to say. I put so much brain power into figuring that out that I can't remember <laughs> what I was going to say. Hold on. Um, oh yeah. So there were some terms that we used, some strategies that we used in our teaching. And one of them was to build on common beliefs. Do you remember hearing that phrase? Yes. Yes. So I think that that is actually a really key strategy that missionaries use as well. And you can almost use binary questions as a way to gauge another person's belief system. And so if you are building on common beliefs and you can ask, that's part of the power of binary questions is getting to that point so that when you set up the contradiction, you already have the foundation for it because you can't, for example, set up a, you know, oh, well, duh, question with somebody if you don't already understand what their beliefs are. Mm-hmm. And so gauging, you know, building on common beliefs, that's part of what we do as missionaries. And we can use binary questions to make sure that we're on the right track Yes. to do that. And then when those other things, you know, when we pull them in, we're actually doing it in an empathic way because we're pulling in on what they have already said they believe. Yes. Like we're setting up that foundation is what they have already said they believe. So it becomes more empathic. Yes. Like I was listening to you. This is what that's I heard you point. say you believed. Yeah. I like that a lot. 
And it, I want to make sure everyone understands you don't have to answer it again. You yeah, can, you can, you can set that contradictory question and just kind of let it hang mm -hmm. and let it go. Oh, wow. Set up, set up that and, and let them even wrestle with it for like the next week or for a few days right. if it's with your child. Just right. throw it out there. Okay. And then maybe come back to it later on and say, okay, so what, what did you think? Yeah. You know, it's sticking I mean, in the brain. Don't not come back to it though. Right. Like that's one of the things that I've kind of started to realize is that I sometimes will be like, ooh, let's think about that. And then I'll be like, and life got in the way. Like right. I really do try and make sure that I come back to those questions. Which again, if you know what you're asking and you know the strategy you're using, like a contradictory question there, yeah. then you will remember to go back hopefully more likely to remember to go back than if you don't realize what you're using and, and the strategy that you're using, you can mm -hmm. easily forget about it and move on. But if yes. you do it intentionally, you know that, okay, I have to follow up with this one and make sure that we actually right. get to it. Right. Right. Yeah. So good. So, so let me recap real quickly. Okay. We've got linear questions. You ask a question, there's an answer. You expect that the mm -hmm. unforeseen gap question where you think, you know, but you bring it up and you dive in deep and you go, actually, I didn't quite understand that correctly, right? Mm -hmm. The angle questions where you come from at, at a totally different angle, like the question, what is the purpose of the Bible? When you're talking about the purpose of the Book of Mormon, let's yes. look at it from a different angle. Different from angle. Dark the side of the moon. What was that? Dark side of the moon is what dark, you called it. Dark side of the moon. Then there's the tangent questions where the question is, as you read the introduction, what do you ask to do? That's a question that you would not typically ask in that with that in that context at all. Yes. It's yes. To, it seems totally off in left field, but it completely makes sense. Yes. Then the forced second question, you ask more of a binary or a factual question, and they you, they are forced to go deeper. They are mm -hmm. forced to ask more questions than just what they just what you asked. Yes. And then the contradictory questions, where you basically have two questions, you put them together and they seem to be contradictory, but you, now you have a space where you can have a discussion and you can wrestle between those two and find it, but you're anchoring it with more of a binary or factual question where you can just solidly, you have a path forward, something to go off of at least. So good, go. like I loved this. Good. Well, I hope this, I really hope this helps. That, that's a lot to take in. And I totally get that. That's seven, to, seven strategies. There's a lot there. I mean, yeah. the, uh, I, I almost feel like uh, it's a little bit overwhelming. Will anyone remember any of that or be able to use it? I hope that if, if nothing else, you know, we, we talked about earlier about the one thing. What is the one thing? I would say from this, the one thing is to take one of those strategies and figure out how to use it next time you could teach. When you talk to your kids, when you talk to your neighbors, use one of those. So here's a suggestion to mm -hmm. dial it in even just a little bit better. Like do it for something you're prepping. Like, yes. so in other words, Good. you yeah. don't expect yourself to be able to do it spontaneously out of the gate. So as you're prepping your next lesson, because most, I think most people have some kind of a formal teaching you know, whatever that are going to bother to listen to our dronings. And so <laughs> if that's the case, use this in your preparation specifically. So as you're going through your lesson, say, okay, is there another angle 
I could, you know, ask a question about, is there, uh, you know, do we need to understand this concept a little bit better? So I'm going to take a, uh, what did you call it? It was the remnant question. What, what's that one called again? The remnant question. The Remember remnant, the remnant let me look what's at this. Called, where you're like that understanding gap. the unforeseen the gap. gap. Yeah, forced gap. So I'm going to, oh, let me add a forced gap question here or another, you know, whatever. So you can kind of do some of that with the questions you've already prepared. But here's the other thing that I would encourage people to do is to go through and label the questions that they included into their, in their lesson off the cuff. Yes. And this is a good way. So say, oh, here are the ones. So don't even think about it. Just prepare your lesson and then go label your own questions and then see if you can attach the type of those seven to it. And if it doesn't fit one of those categories, that's fine. But I suspect you will find that many that you're already doing this in a natural way. And let's just bring it into our consciousness. So yes. instead of feeling overwhelmed by it, figure out what you're already doing in kind of your preparation or intentionally do something in your preparation so that you can start to bring it into your consciousness more. Perfect. That's that's a perfect way to go act on it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Now, everyone, if you would, if you if this was helpful, which we really hope it was, if you would, please go share it. Oh, that's for you. Cool. Good. good it was good. for me. I loved good, it. Good. Go share this with others. Um, like, subscribe, comment. If you would leave a leave a review on the podcast, uh, it helps spread to others. We have our, for example, we have our um, Instagram uh, account as well that we post stuff on. We do little clips and other things. So just be filled, continually learn, continually get better and better at teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any last words of wisdom, Julie? No, just thanks for hanging out today, Kevin. That was a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate it. it was me awesome. too. It was. Thanks. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time. Okay.